1: The U.S. Postal Service is an important tool for any business, reaching every household every day. And Stamps.com is the easiest way to access all the amazing services of the post office. Stamps.com never closes. You can print postage for letters or packages at your convenience 24-7. I can mail any letter or any package. I can write my representative or send out merch using just my computer and printer and the mailman picks it up. Now, you can do that, too. Mail everything from postcards to envelopes to those letters to your representatives or the White House, domestic or international. Create your Stamps.com account in minutes online with no equipment to lease and no long-term commitments. Click, print, mail, and you're done. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. It's such an amazing thing to do. The President of the United States does not believe it can be done uh, without cheating, as it were. But the U.S. Post Office is amazing, and stamps.com makes it amazinger. It will even help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. I use stamps.com because I am a small business, an LLC specifically, and I have stuff to do. I have business mail to send, um, mail to the various entities that work for me, which I still can't quite believe I have such things, um, to, yeah, stuff like merch um, and books. Oh, my God, so many books. And I use Stamps.com because it is so convenient, because I can do it any time of the day. And right now, you can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale, Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in friends. That's stamps.com and enter friends when you click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Friends. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and you're listening to With Friends Like These. With Friends Like These is a show where we explore the differences between us without letting them divide us. There's power in the act of listening. I am a big believer in letting go of trying to change someone's mind and instead trying to figure out how their mind got to be the way it is in the first place. It's funny, if you drop your agenda about even trying to get to a place where you agree, sometimes you get further towards agreement. I've been doing this show for about a year and I've had the chance to talk to a broad range of people and get to hear all their stories. I've talked to former white supremacists, Trump supporters and Hillary supporters, liberals who I disagree with on certain topics, and people from all political backgrounds. We've also gone headlong into difficult conversations about mental health, reproductive rights, safe sex, religion, and frank and earnest discussions about privilege and race. I've learned it isn't necessarily about finding that common ground. It's about learning to see the world through someone else's eyes. Which is why I headed to the Conservative Political Action Conference. Every year since 1973, conservative activists and elected officials have gathered for the Conservative Political Action Conference. This is where they hold panel discussions, activist workshops, and herald rising stars and keynote addresses. There are also many, many sad cocktail hours. Basically, it's a chance to come together and meet other young conservatives. And I've been going to CPAC since about 2004. I started going because I've always been fascinated by conservatives, to be honest. And I've always been excited to talk to people whose beliefs don't uh, always align with the mainstream. I think they're the most interesting people to talk to. Sometimes it gives you better insight on what the mainstream is. And when I started going to CPAC, one of the things I was surprised, pleasantly surprised to learn was that though there are some weirdos, um, there's a lot of idealism. Uh, Idealism that echoed with me because I'm I'm a pretty big idealist. In fact, 10 years ago when I first started going, it was really the beginning of a renaissance of the libertarian movement within the Republican Party. Uh, You can't get much more idealistic than a libertarian, really. I mean, they believe that people behave according to markets, which to me is is, – Something you can only believe if you if you aren't looking at actual people. And yes, there was an occasional historical reenactor and occasionally you'd get someone, um, you know, who wanted to talk to you about uh, chemtrails. But I felt like there was a lot of discussion of ideas. And even as Trump gained traction uh, in, in the Republican Party, even as he spoke at CPAC a couple of times, CPAC didn't necessarily welcome him. It wasn't that he was too extreme. It's that he was showy. Uh, and CPAC was earnest and, and nerdy and and trying to plan for a future of electoral wins and trying to do that electoral politics um, through arguing about um, policy and, and not just simply scapegoating. Again, there was some of that. But for the most part, they wanted to organize around ideas and platforms and weren't necessarily attracted to Trump's, you know, sheer celebrity um, as a platform to run on. Of course, this year, I discovered that things have changed. With the election of Trump, many in the right wing have complained they're being painted with a broad brush that you're a racist if you voted for trump argument at cpac many attendees felt genuinely upset and hurt by that stereotype um, they felt ostracized from conversations and despite the fact that their guy is in the white house and we have some of the most extreme immigration policies you know of the modern times being implemented they felt like they couldn't talk about what they really believed they also felt like conversations about who is and isn't a racist and maybe even the Me Too movement, uh, some of them felt like those conversations took away from things that were really important. And, and this actually harkens a little bit back to the old CPAC. Um, they wanted to talk about taxes and the economy.
0: With liberals, I hear they're calling us racist or sexist or misogynist because that gets to your soul. That gets to hate, that 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 they view us with hate in our heart. We don't have hate in our heart. We are so welcoming to all different types of people, Um, regardless of your race, ethnicity, religion. We want everyone to be unified behind, particularly on our side, but behind the president as well.
1: But a lot of what I heard this year was, well, virulent and unmitigated racism. It surprised me. I'd never seen this level of bigotry at CPAC before. So Dave Weigel and I are going to talk about that. Um, He's been going to CPAC for just about as long as I have. Um, And then he saw, you know, a lot of things change this year too. So super fans might know, I love my parachute sheets. They are a sponsor of the program, but I have actually been a fan since before they were a sponsor and now i am happy to celebrate them our dog new puppy Exley, he also loves these sheets and i have to say i am so happy with the dark blue linen sheets we got in part because they stand up to the puppy um and in fact like the more he seems to like scratch at them and tear at them they softer they get and i i because the puppy I've had to wash them fairly often and they just get softer and softer and softer. Um, and I just a shout out to, if you have animals, just, you know, think about the darker colors. It was something that I didn't think would look good, but, uh, in linen, the dark colors have kind of this ombre effect, um, and of course, uh, you don't have to worry about them being perfect because they're you know, pre-wrinkled. I, I have a friend who got a parachute uh, bathrobe for his girlfriend for Christmas, and he says that it is also amazing. She basically lives in it. Uh, we also have the amazing uh, parachute bath sheets, which are almost literally the size of like a twin sheet. I can't use another towel these days. Um, this is just too luxurious. Every other towel feels like a washcloth in comparison. And they are a sponsor for the show, so please do try them out. Uh, you can visit parachutehome.com friends for free shipping and returns on Parachute's incredibly comfortable bedding and bath linens. They offer a 60-night trial, so if you don't love it, send it back. They send the returns to Habitat for Humanity, but I swear you will Love them. Again, visit parachutehome.com slash friends for free shipping and returns on parachutes incredibly comfortable and luxurious bedding and bath linens. Once again, parachutehome.com slash friends. You like me are probably a person with a mouth and you use it a lot, and maybe you use it so much that you forget to brush it all the time. Uh, and you probably forget to pay attention to your toothbrush. You're too busy talking. Well, you need to try Quip. Quip is the new electric toothbrush that packs just the right amount of vibrations into a slimmer design at a fraction of the cost of bulkier electronic brushes. And the guiding pulses alert you when to switch sides, making brushing the right amount of effortless. And it comes with a mount that suctions right to your mirror and unsticks to use as a cover for hygienic travel anywhere, whether it's going in your gym bag or your carry-on. And because the thing that cleans your mouth should also be clean, Quip's subscription plan refreshes your brush on a dentist-recommended schedule, delivering new brush heads every three months for just $5, including free shipping worldwide. So it's not just a smart toothbrush in the way that it reminds you where to switch sides in your mouth. It is a smart toothbrush that basically cleans itself because you get those new brush heads every three months. Um, It is a toothbrush that thinks for you, which seems like a weird thing to say, but it probably won't share your data with anyone. Most toothbrushes don't get named to times magazine, best inventions of the year, but quip did find out yourself. Why quip starts at just $25. If you go to get slash friends right now, you'll get your first refill pack for free with a quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack for free at get quip.com slash friends. That's G E T Q U I com slash friends. Love at First Brush. CPAC is pretty homogeneous. There's not a lot of diversity of any kind. Uh, most of it is students, most of them are white. They have a definite look. So when I saw this one young woman, I wanted to see what brought her to the conference. I'm 17 and I'm from North Carolina. And I pulled you aside to talk to you because um, CPAC has a certain fashion aesthetic that's pretty dominant.
2: I hate it, and I, uh, I hate the the Fox News reporter look that all of these women have, and especially the College Republican girls. They walk in and they all look like the exact same person with the blonde hair and the the dress, the black or red or something.
1: And it's just, like, so cookie-cutter. It's usually kind of a tight skirt, I notice. Oh,
2: yeah. Very (laughs) inappropriate.
1: (laughs) Um, uh, I sometimes describe the look as for church but sexy. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I'm not a fan at all.
1: She's not who I expected to see. In fact, if I'm going to be totally honest, she reminded me of how I used to dress back in the day.
2: The statement piece is my boots. They're platform boots that are about, like, eight inches tall. Yeah, um, and then they're buckled all the way up my shin. And um, they're, like, cyber goth, I guess. And then I'm wearing overalls underneath and then a Conspiracy Theory T-shirt that I thrifted and then a big jean jacket and then these checkered sunglasses I've been wearing. And also a headband that is like fluffy, fluffy white balls that are ears.
1: You have like little, like, mouse
2: ears, sort of? They're like bunny tails, I guess, on my head. (laughs) So, uh, what brings you to CPAC? Um, Well, first, I wanted to meet my friend here. Uh, I met him online, and we've been planning to do this for a very long time. And um, I would have gone to CPAC anyway, but this was just an added bonus, so... Uh, I met him through Charlottesville. He was the poster boy, basically, for Charlottesville. Uh, And he was in a huge tweet that doxxed his full name, and um, lots of information about him was everywhere, all over Twitter. And I quote-tweeted it uh, as a joke from some publication. I just said, like, he should hit me up, or, like, all of these boys should hit me up because they're so cute (laughs) or something. And, um... Apparently, one of my followers was a friend of his who texted him and told him to make a Twitter so he could hit me up. And we started DMing and we became friends. And then he became friends with my mom and we organized this whole thing.
1: So a little refresher here. Last August, several alt-right and neo-Nazi groups organized a rally in Charlottesville called Unite the Right to unify the white nationalist movement by opposing the removal of a Robert E. Lee statue. They went out in the middle of the night holding up tiki torches and chanting Nazi and white supremacist slogans like, You will not replace us, and blood and soil. It was tense. And the next day, a man drove his car into a crowd of people, injuring 19 and killing one. It remains one of the most chilling reminders of what America can look like under President Trump. A photo from the rally the night before went viral. You might have seen it. The friend that she's referring to is the guy in that photo.
2: Everyone basically said that he was like the poster child for the Nazi protesters that had the tiki torches and everything. He was screaming in the picture, looking like a crazy Nazi. And um, when I got to know him, he was a perfectly normal guy, not a Nazi at all, um, smart, very nice. We share uh, being Catholic, so we became, we bonded over that, um, and also through politics because I'm pretty far right myself. I'm not a racist. That's that's like the first thing I need to get forward. But I think that the the way everyone knows that race relations r- are right now are not doing well. Like they're the worst that they've been in a long time, and. To solve that problem is not to ignore it or to say that we are all the same or we all need to be, uh, I guess, colorblind, but it's to recognize the differences and see how we can all, like, work towards a certain shared goal and that's the problem.
1: I'm afraid I'm going to have to make you be a little more specific or ask you to be more specific because what you said just then was not super controversial. Like you you started off by saying I'm not a racist and then you said, you know, you believe that you have... Okay. Okay.
2: <laughs> it's
1: hard because like I'm not used to talking
2: about my controversial opinions with other people because it just... Pisses people off, I guess. But okay, here's one. Um, largely, I think the vast majority of women do not belong in the workplace. That's one thing, and it. I've never found anyone except for my family members that agree with me on that.
1: It's um in this these this era. It's a fairly unique mm-hmm. position, <laughs> I would say. Um, and do you believe that? There should be um, separate like ethno states. Is that your opinion on race relations? Um, I want America to have a white supermajority,
2: but um, I don't think that the idea of an ethno state is realistic or able to be accomplished in any way that would um, not violate people's human rights and like human dignity. So I'm not really into the whole language of ethno states or anything that Richard Spencer says. <laughs> Why do you want a white supermajority? I just think that it's important to the identity of America. I think that the people who first immigrated here, this is one thing. I don't like when people call America a nation of immigrants to justify the idea that people should continue coming here and coming here and taking advantage of what is already established by white people before So the people who immigrated here at first, Europeans, they're all completely naturalized now and have been here for generations upon generations. So it's not fair to be saying that this is a nation of immigrants and that we can't act like other countries in the world and have secure borders and close them off or open them to whoever we please.
1: Now, not everyone I talked to had such openly racist views about American identity. And not everyone I talked to was white, but they all shared the same view about what it means to be American, which was basically be like us, act like us, or get out. Take Nafisa, a young 19-year-old Muslim student at Northeastern University. She's a big fan of the Muslim band, which surprised me. But the reasons why she was a fan, us well, see CPAC, those particular views weren't surprising at all. You are a Muslim criminal justice major, so woman, who is yeah. a conservative.
3: I took all the boxes.
1: So my family, we emigrated here uh, right
3: before 9-11, actually. And we lived in New York when it happened. Uh, so um, that was very scary for our family because we were brand new in America, and here's this huge catastrophe. People didn't like Muslims anymore, right? And uh, so, I mean, I was very young. I was what, two when it happened? Two, three? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't remember it. I don't have recollection of it. And um, But it made a lasting impression on, like, my family and my community members. And it wasn't so much that it was, like, an effort uh, towards the Conservatives, um, but it was more like um, the progressive movement doesn't share our values. We put a lot of importance on like, securing ourselves. Uh, like, modesty, stuff like that. You know, um, it, it's kind of we have more in common with the culture of conservatives than we do with progressives. And that has shown in, like, many social aspects. Uh, with regards to financial aspects, like fiscal aspects, like not so
1: much um, uh, Muslims, we don't believe in um, interest. You maybe also get asked this next question a lot, which is, so the Muslim ban...
3: Okay. Oh, I love this question. Um, I, so, I, I, I'm not even
1: going to finish it. I'm just going to be like, so Muslim
3: ban? Yeah. Question mark? Um I like this question because uh, I and my family too. We do support the Muslim ban. Uh, I am from Bangladesh, right? So I was uh, I was born there. I moved here at a young age, but my entire community, like my the community that I grew up with, they're all Bengalis and they're all immigrants, right? It's just how I was raised. And um, after like growing up, there were some people that I just I don't know. It's not that I was like prejudiced against them. It's not, or like judgmental, uh, but more like, I didn't really understand how they fit into our like community because my dad, uh, he is educated. He's a chemist. He has a PhD in that and, uh, molecular biology. Right. And then everyone else, they're like doctors or they're, uh, engineers or lawyers. And then a few of them, they were, they were not right. And, um, it wasn't until like uh, just a year or two ago that I asked my dad, oh, like how do they come here? And apparently they came here, a lot of them on the lottery system, right? And so I looked more into the lottery system and I, in fact, Trump was talking about this earlier today. And as soon as he saw, I, I like stood up, I mean, I was like, yes, like, you know, honing in on this because I think the lottery system is ridiculous. Uh, with regards to the Muslim ban specifically though, I think uh, it could have been, it could have gone further. I think there should have been more countries that he should have banned. Being from Florida, you know, the whole Pulse nightclub shooting, that like really stood out to me because everyone in his family like suspected or knew something about what he was planning on doing, and no one said anything. Again, cultural thing, you know. And that it shows up not just with regards to this, but in mental illness, in other financial tr- troubles, in any kind of trouble you could be, no one talks about it, and that's a cultural thing. And I don't know how. Like I think the Muslim ban is like great until we can find out how to have that assimilation program like set in place because. Honestly, like, the Western world values itself on what, like, being a whole culture, like, pot, a melting pot thing. But at one point, there's a lot of assimilation going on, and if you have one group that's not assimilating, that's a problem. I think that that's the biggest problem in our society, like, the biggest one.
1: Assimilate or you don't belong. Either you like the values or what we say we value, or you're a potential threat. Prove that you deserve to be here. It's a binary that has become the dominant view in conservative politics. Just look at what CPAC has become. In 2016, 2016, the year that Trump won the presidency eventually, that spring, he did not speak at CPAC because he was considered politically toxic. They were worried they would be protests. In fact, CPAC has a history of pulling the platform of people who were deemed overtly xenophobic or racist. And then... Trivia, those people would then get invited to a Breitbart conference that was happening at about the same time called The Uninvited. So in 2016, Trump faced a potential walkout by conservative activists and was criticized by some of the people who did speak that year. This year is a different story. Not only did Trump keynote the event, but he was the model for most of the speakers One of the Le Pen family spoke, the niece of the Euro-nationalist Marie Le Pen. And Ben Shapiro, he gave a rather chilling summation of why conservatives shouldn't hide their most bigoted views in the shadows any longer.
0: If we want to emerge victorious, if we want to end political correctness and rebuild on the foundations that our forefathers fought and bled and died for, we'll need to stand with decency and with truth. And we can do it. So that means it's time to study up. It means it's time to be unafraid. My mentor, Andrew Breitbart, used to tell people to walk toward the fire. We don't have to fear their slings and arrows because all of those things bounce off of the truth. We don't have to worry about charges of racism, sexism, bigotry, homophobia, because facts aren't racist, sexist, bigoted, or homophobic, and neither are we. Hey, these are just facts. The facts are your shield, decency is your sword. No more evidence-free victim mentality. No more subjective feelings trumping objective facts. No more silencing perspectives just because they make people feel bad about themselves. It is time today for truth and decency. If we stick with truth and decency, we will win. We'll win because the human soul does yearn for truth and it does respond to decency. We will win because America was built on truth and on decency. And most of all, we'll win because we sure as hell can't afford to lose. Thank you so
1: much. It's worth noting, of course, that Ben Shapiro is the guy that resigned from Breitbart because of anti-Semitic threats. But here he is at CPAC telling people it's okay to say whatever you want, no matter how offensive it might be. Like I mentioned, I've been going to CPAC for over 10 years. And a familiar face has always been Dave Weigel from The Washington Post. He has been covering the conference for years, about the same time as I have, and he's seen it change, too. I wanted to talk to him about what this change means for the conservative movement.
4: I, I remember one of my first thoughts at CPAC being, "Man, Stephen Glass sucked." Like, Stephen <laughs> Glass made up all these details of what happened at young Republican events, and it was so easy to just wander into that kind of stuff, especially if you looked young-ish, which I did at the time. Uh, like tons of debauchery, you know, bad, bad fitting suits, and you know, bad drinking beer. I guess. Uh, Bad beer, a- bad fitting Oliver. suits
1: and bad beer. Seeing
4: seeing that, with my aperture at that point was just let me see what libertarians are up to. So, yeah, that really shone for me as well.
1: And I think one of the things that stood out to me, too, was I found CPAC to be, um, and this is true, I think, of a lot of libertarians in general. It's one of the reasons why I have a soft spot for libertarians. It's terribly earnest, you know? Yes. The, the, all of CPAC was pretty earnest. Even the conspiracy theory stuff was earnest, the the people that supported Tom Tancredo weren't – I'll give them this. They weren't being racist to appeal to other racists <laughs> or just to <laughs> appeal to racists. They were they were genuine racists. And as far as Ron Paul goes, that was the first time I think that sort of mainstream reporters – although I don't know if you and I counted as mainstream at the time. Uh, I certainly did Yeah, but uh, – so wonk at it in reason. But it was the first time you could see that there was going to be this weird college-age groundswell for yeah. – you know, a seventy-something, you know, tiny old man, elven creature, you know, <laughs> but it was earnest. Well, Again, uh, it was earnest. It was like people really believed in, in in this stuff. It may have seemed fringy to to outsiders, um, but it wasn't craven.
4: Yeah, it was earnest, and it was it was defeated too. It all came out of the sense that something had gone awry in the Bush years, and for the young libertarians, it, it, it was that the party had gotten away from. Isolationism and into big spending. You know, the the Medicare Part D was was this yeah. founding founding original sin of of libertarian Ron Paul types, and the Tancredo one was a bit darker because it was the 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 sin of the Bush years was trying even trying to get Latino voters interested or maybe make white voters feel a little bit better about voting Republican by reaching on immigration. No, we should uh, we should close the borders and lift the flag and. and God, those guys got, you know, combined in those primaries, 6% of the vote or something. But that was that was what lasted.
1: But what I also remember kind of over the, 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 you know, let's say 2007 through 2012, at the very least, maybe even right up to to the nearest time, was that what I felt like a lot of mainstream reporters got wrong about CPAC was that while there was this fringy element to it, you know, and there was a lot of weirdos because the libertarians can be kind of weird, you know, um, kind of. Kind of, yes. In uh, a lot of, like, young pimply men in ill-fitting suits and not very many young women. Uh, there was this sense – it was this, um, again, genuine desire for change in the establishment. You know, it, it was definitely an activist crowd. Um, and there wasn't um, – it wasn't like another a lot of other Washington events where you had this sense of like people glad-handing just to glad-hand and like a lot of careerism, even though a part of going to CPAC is apparently t- to try and get your career together. Um, mm-hmm. These are people who are excited about ideas.
4: Mm-hmm. More at the time. I don't think we're just being nostalgic. That definitely was more a piece uh, at the time. And it's because they just had lost the midterms. Uh, so they realized that pure ad- adulation for George W. Bush and being warhawks, that didn't make sense anymore. Uh, there was a real crisis of confidence over having bet everything on the Iraq War, and not just bet everything as a as policy, but and the what 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 now is the kind of MAGA liberal tears trolling was all invested in mocking liberals for not being pro Iraq War enough. And boy, they were going to feel bad when that thing turned out well. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of the attitude. Um, with that with that gone, it wasn't clear. What to be proud of in the movement. And so there was that, that space for for new ideas. And it, it wasn't as pretentious as uh, CPAC, CPAC got later, I think. I don't remember as many speeches, but maybe maybe the class of people who came in after t- 2010 were just more pompous in general than the people who were what was left to the Republican Party at that point. The other thing I noticed that's, uh, I guess, less controversial, but I, I'm obsessed with for having come from a Libertarian Magazine, was just no one cares anymore at, at CPAC about entitlements. And that was just the easiest mm-hmm. sell at previous CPACs was, hey, young people, um, you know, like the Im- imagine here like Pete Peterson, but as like Steve Buscemi in the uh, what's up, fellow kids mm-hmm. <laughs> meme. Uh, hey, kids. Uh as a as millennials, you realize that you're never gonna get Social Security, so it's time to privatize it and go and they just don't care anymore. I mean Trump Trump has said we can just cut taxes and cut down immigration and keep things as they are, so forget about it. And I was struck that uh in in no, at no point anywhere in CPAC was there a discussion of that. Uh, the the criminal justice reform push, which was also a I think it's very sincere for for a yeah, lot of conservatives. No, definitely. I, I have no reason to doubt like even Rick Perry's sincerity for this. Um uh, that just kind of dropped because it's not, I mean, Trump's not really doing it, so you can't really high five. If Jeff Sessions is attorney general, the we need to go a little bit easier on mass incarceration panel doesn't make as much sense, does it? Mm-hmm. So that was gone. Uh, now, the CPAC is a lot more than panels. It's honestly, you probably, I think if you, if I was somebody who's you know, Given a choose-your-own adventure, and they chose either going to every panel or going to every happy hour. You should probably do the happy hour, at least as as journalism. <laughs> but <laughs> it, at no point in in like in the shadows or on stage. And the stage is as people who go to CPAC know. It's the stage is sitting there in front of maybe at any given time a hundred to two hundred journalists. Right? It's a, it's a show for the media. So the show for the media that is the kind of big. Uh, you know, class play the conservatives are going to put on for the year. Nothing about that stuff. Nothing about uh more diverse America and nothing about entitlement reform.
1: What basically has happened at CPAC is they've gone all in on culture war and, and almost to the exclusion of like fiscal policy, which used to be the thing that fucking defined conservatives, right? Mm-hmm. Like literally, <laughs> like, that, was a, that was how you defined a conservative was what their fiscal policy was. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was definitely how you defined a libertarian. You know, libertarians defined their social policy via fiscal policy, right? Mm -hmm. Like you got to a social policy of a libertarian by default, what they thought the market would, you know, what they thought the free market would support or how you had the freest market and cultural expression. And now Mm -hmm. even the stuff that's about markets or about fiscal policy is sort of framed as if it makes the liberal sad, right? Like – and, and, yeah. and even like the most surreal moment of the conference, which for me was filled with surreal moments, was when Donald Trump did his spot poll on taxes versus Second Amendment.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And the Second Amendment cheers won. If I was a conservative and I wanted growth for the conservative movement and the Republican Party, which, of course, are or have been two different things and are two different things, maybe more than ever. Yeah. I would look at CPAC and I would think we need, you know, we are counting on a flock of black swans.
4: Um, You know, in 2008, there is, or 2006 uh, and 7, when we started going to CPAC, there were two arguments that were basically, uh, that could be boiled down to, we are losing America. We need to get America back. We've lost what America is supposed to be. And one of those arguments was the Ron Paul argument, which was we've lost America, America being defined as the Constitution and small government and low taxes and personal uh, individual rights. And the other version was, we no, we've lost America because America used to be homogeneous and mostly white and Christian, and we did to get back to that. And uh, you know, one of those, I, I think, one of those arguments had a bigger shelf life. Mm-hmm. You know, same basic pitch that we've lost something. The other one, other one of those, won. And the libertarians are kind of back in the uh, back offsite, and the other other guys are in command of CPAC. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining me, Dave. It's always good to that talk was awesome. to you. Oh, it's awesome. Ever plan a vacation? Finding a place to stay that will make everyone happy for the right price where you all want to visit, well, that can feel like a full-time job. Spend less time planning your next trip with Tripping.com. Don't visit a ton of different sites. On Tripping.com, one search lets you compare every home from the world's top vacation rental sites in one place to find the best deal on your perfect vacation rental. Now, vacation rentals offer more. More privacy, more space for everyone under one roof, and more choices with fully stocked kitchens, extra bedrooms, and even hot tubs. All the comforts of home and then some. My husband and I actually did a staycation of sorts recently using Tripping uh, here in the city when our condo got flooded. And it was pretty great to go from a home to a home, rather from a home to a hotel when we couldn't stay at our place. So if you're planning a spring break on the beach in Florida, Tripping.com. Can't wait to swim in Lake Tahoe this summer, tripping.com. Dreaming of sitting on the deck of a smoky mountains cabin, tripping.com. And, you know, hopefully your apartment doesn't get flooded. But if you need to stay someplace in your own city, tripping.com. This year, save time and money when you book the vacation home of your dreams with tripping.com slash friends. That's tripping.com slash friends, dot com slash friends. Find your perfect vacation rental. Tripping.com slash friends. When it comes to bra shopping, it's all about finding the right fit for you. And there's only one lingerie brand that offers bras in sizes AA through G and half cup sizes Third Love. I actually was using Third Love before they became a sponsor. One of the reasons I love them is that they do have those half cup sizes. I did not realize I actually am a half cup size. And Third Love is the only place I can get that size. Now, they use thousands of real women's measurements and super smoothing memory foam to create bras that fit better and feel great. Most old school bra brands only carry 15 sizes. Third Love has 60, including those half cups. Again, no one else does the half cup sizes. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering my listeners 15% off your first order. To find the bra you've been waiting for all your life. All you have to do is answer a few simple questions from Third Love's Fit Finder Quiz. It takes just 60 seconds and you can do it from the comfort of your home. You'll never have that awkward fitting room experience again. Try a Third Love bra. It's so comfortable you might forget you're wearing it. And they're so pretty, even if you do remember that you're wearing it, you're not going to mind if it shows. And if you don't agree that they're super comfortable and beautiful, returns and exchanges are always easy and free. So this year, make the change. That will change the way you think about bras. Go to thirdlove.com slash friends and find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash friends for 15% off your first purchase. Thirdlove.com slash friends. Now, most people assume that this sort of thing resonates with the older Fox News watching audience who are afraid of who or what they don't know. They don't like change. But at CPAC, I was surprised to see not a Fox audience, but, you know, college students in MAGA hats chanting along. They're the mirror image of the kids who helped lead the March for Our Lives. They're the same age, and they act with the same passion. And they're all-in for Trump.
0: Uh, I'm 17, and I'm from Chicago, Illinois. I'm a junior in high school.
1: And I, so I, it's not on my tape, so I have to say. So you're wearing a Make America Great Again hat. So I take it that you're a strong Trump supporter. Yes, absolutely. Uh, do you feel like CPAC is a Trump-supporting place?
0: Oh, yeah, of course. You, can just, you see everyone, like, there's plenty of other people wearing these kinds of hats. And he's coming to speak here tomorrow. And I've talked to many people, many people, they're all very excited about that. I think it's probably going to be one of the highlights of the entire event is seeing him come here and speak
1: once on the outskirts. Trump was finally welcome at CPAC this year. His message had found its home.
0: And think of it in terms of immigration. And you may love it, or you may say, isn't that terrible, okay? And if you say, isn't that terrible, who cares? Because the way they treat me, that's peanuts compared to the way they treat me. (laughs) Immigration. On her way to work one morning... Down the path, along the lake, a tender-hearted woman saw a poor, half-hearted, frozen snake. His pretty colored skin had been all frosted with the dew. Poor thing, she cried. I'll take you in, and I'll take care of you. Take me in, oh tender woman, take me in for heaven's sake. Take me in, oh tender woman. Sigh the vicious snake.
1: I want to be clear. Not every conservative and not even every CPAC attendee is someone who's on the far right and moving rightward. But the people I talked to at CPAC this year scared me. (laughs) As I said before, there have always been racists, you know, on the fringes of the conservative movement, sometimes not on the fringes. There are racists kind of everywhere, right? And at CPAC, you could find them, but you had to turn over rocks. You know, this year they're not under rocks. They're standing at the podium. Now that these are the people with the megaphone, how do principal conservatives get their voices heard? How many of them are there left? In part two of this story, I talked to a few of those young conservatives that I went looking for, the activists who want to see a different future than the one Trump represents. We talk about what they think the conservative movement should stand for and how they intend to change it.